Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to Episode 78 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Hope you're all well and getting after it. If not, and you're here for some inspiration, then I've got you. As usual, I want to hit you with a few thoughts off the very top, and then I want to drop what I think is another tremendous conversation on you a little bit later on. And no, not every conversation is an amazing conversation. I will own that. I've spent the last three decades plus doing multiple interviews every day, at least five days a week. So believe me, I know a good interview from a bad interview, and I've had my share of the latter. In fact, In most cases, there really aren't any great interviews, only great conversations. That's actually my advice to any aspiring journos or people pushing content that are doing, quote, interviews for the first time. You're not looking to conduct a great interview. You're looking to have a great conversation. And in fact, I've got one for you shortly. Trust me, you'll be glad you're here for it and you're going to want to hear it. Speaking of great conversations, I had an epic conversation with my man Brian Johnson in our last episode right here. Because the conversation was so electric and Brian and his team did such an amazing job of sharing it with the heroic nation of his, I am still getting extraordinary feedback for it. If you missed that conversation, I would encourage you to go back to episode 77 when you have a moment and give that a spin. I understand how valuable your time is, but... Listening to that episode with Brian Johnson means making a tremendous investment in yourself. Believe that. Buy his new book, Arate, and you're making an even better investment in yourself. In fact, I want to tell you something else about this dude and how we came together for that conversation. The amazing thing about being in the personal development space is, at least in my experience, nearly everybody is looking to help everybody else. Servitude is a real thing. Virtually everybody I've spoken to and met as a result of working in this space has asked me the question, what can I do to help you? And they mean it. And they're not looking for anything tangible in return. That said, and herein lies the message for everybody listening, if in fact you are serious and committed to serving and helping others and you never look for anything in return, of course the universe is going to repay you. Of course it's going to come back to you. And no, I'm not getting all foo-foo with this either. It's just common sense, right? The universe keeps receipts, yo. There is a karmic scoreboard. Look up at it. Believe it. So I can't tell you how many people I've met since I started this podcast a couple of years back who said, hey, Jim, I want you to meet so-and-so. And I also do the same thing. We all bring people together. It's an awesome thing, which brings me back to Brian Johnson. I knew of Brian, of course, but I'd never met or spoken to him. Brian's tight with somebody who we all love, former major leaguer and legendary human being, Sean Casey. These two dudes are cut from the same cloth. I mean, if you could bottle their energy, their passion, and their fire, you would have generational wealth. So Casey introduces me to Brian. We booked the interview. He shoots me a text the night before telling me how fired up he is for it. I immediately thumb back. So am I, brother. And the next thing you know, we have this rapid-fire text convo for over an hour. I'm in Cali in my home office. He's pulled over on the side of the road somewhere in Texas. I have no idea where. We've never even communicated previously, yet we're connected like we've known each other forever. Then we do the pod the next day. It crushes as you'd expect, and now we're bonded forever, and we text communicate with one another all the time and talk. So, why do I tell you that story? Well, one, it's a damn good story. And, and, this is really interesting to me. In fact, it's sort of eerie to me. But Brian often ends his text to me with something that I've long believed in and had put into practice a long time ago. 
It works. It's simple but not easy. It's effective in a great way to get back on the path if you've fallen off. And it blew me away that he hit me with it the very first time. And I said, dude, yes, exactly. I start every single day with this mantra. I repeat it throughout the entire day. So my man has ink. I have none, no tattoos. But I told him, if I ever get needled, this is what I'm going to scratch into my skin. It's the following. Wait for this. Day one, all in, let's go. That's it. Day one, all in, let's go. Every single day. Day one, all in, let's go. I don't care how great a day you had yesterday. I don't care how horrible a day you had yesterday. You approach every single day like it's day one. Day one of a new job. Day one of the rest of your life. Day one, no more excuses. Day one, no more lies to yourself. Day one, no more putting off living the life that you were meant to live. Day one, all in, let's go. Every damn day. It's that simple. Let me repeat that. Day one, all in, let's go. Now, If you were to operate with that one simple mantra, but you apply that every single day with every fiber of your being, and not only when you feel like it, but every single day, and you live that, and you make that your identity, and it becomes a lifestyle, I guarantee your life would be exponentially better. Fact is, every single high achiever that I've ever known has that very mentality. They may not state it as such, but they understand it and they live it. Day one, all in, let's go. Brian, dude, appreciate you. Thanks for the energy and the friendship and the friendly reminder and the kick in the ass. Day one, all in, let's go. So speaking of relationships and conversations, today's guest, Erwin McManus is straight up one of the most interesting people I have ever met in my life. I'm not sure, in fact, I've ever met somebody who has seen what he has seen and done what he has done and has the perspective he has. That's how much I think of him. He is a different, different dude. And by that, I mean awesome. Erwin is a renowned life architect, an award-winning author, and artist, and pastor. He has written a tremendous new book entitled Mind Shift, which we'll talk about and so much more. I met Erwin a couple of years back at a dinner for Ed Milet. I was blown away by his charisma, his insight, and his perspective, and I knew one day that I had to dig deep and go long form with him, and that day is today. It's episode 78 of The Reinvention Project with Erwin McManus, and it's coming at you right now. So, Erwin, I don't know that you actually know this, but I want to share something with you as we get into this. When you and I first met at a party for Ed Milet a couple of years back, we sat next to each other, Erwin, and I told Ed after dinner, and I was relatively new to the space, and getting to know people, I said, dude, Erwin is like one of the most fascinating guys I've ever met, like intellectually, energetically. He's a really, really different dude, and it didn't take me long to reach that conclusion either because, like, you might remember that was a table full of really successful, really powerful personalities, and I just picked up that vibe from you right away. So, honestly, I've been meaning to have this conversation with you ever since that night, Erwin, so I'm really glad that we can come together and do this. Thank you so much. Oh, I am so excited. I remember that night. And of course, you know, we both love uh, Ed Milet and that was, was a pretty powerful table. And, but I have to tell you, sitting next to you, I mean, I, I was just a complete fanboy because uh, you were in my ear every single day uh, for years and years and years. So I have to tell you, Jim, that I'm a huge fan and um, was so excited just to connect. Yeah, that's so great. That makes me feel absolutely awesome, Erwin, because I thought you were just tremendous. So I want to jump right into this because you've got a fascinating new book, and it's called Mind Shift. It doesn't take a genius to think like one. And the fact is, Erwin, you know this, the premise of this podcast, virtually every single one in the space, centers on that very notion, right? Shifting your mind. So why Mm -hmm. did you decide to write this book? And why is mind shifting so important to you and in turn to us? Well, a huge part of it for me is just my own personal journey. I spent the last 40 years in personal development, helping people move toward optimal performance. But I began my first 10 years working in the inner city with... uh, uh, drug cartels with gangs, with people trapped in, in poverty. And and I look at my life almost in like three movements. I spent 10 years working with the urban poor. Then I spent 10 years working with artists and creatives here in Hollywood. 
And then I spent 10 years working with CEOs and entrepreneurs and you know, the top you know, 500 type CEOs. And I discovered they all had the exact same challenges. You know, I, I kept thinking I had to learn new skills when I left working with drug cartels to working with CEOs or working with Hollywood celebrities. And it's always the same thing. It's the internal mental structures that either limit people or allow them to continue to expand. And I, and I just felt a lot of people in everyday life were missing out on this very simple insight that it's not your external circumstances that really limit your life. It's the internal structure of your thinking. Hey, now the holidays are here. That's right, they're already here. Let Omaha Steaks take the guesswork out of gifting. Shop carefully curated gift packages that are guaranteed to make spirits bright all winter long. I love Omaha Steaks. I have been consuming them for years. What you want to do is go to omahasteaks.com and you can save 50% off site-wide. Plus, when you use my promo code, Jim Rome, spelled as a single word, no spaces, at checkout, get an additional $30 off your order. It's like the best deal ever. Send tender, juicy, Butcher's Cut Filets, mouth-watering burgers, gourmet jumbo franks, or even easy-to-prepare meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away. So shop early, beat the shipping rush, and go to omahasteaks.com. Use my name as the promo code, Jim Rome. Remember, one word, Jim Rome. Do it at checkout. Sending Omaha Steaks is one of those oh-wow gifts. It's a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Again, one of my favorite products ever. Order with complete confidence today, knowing that you are ordering the very best. Go to omahasteaks.com. Take advantage of 50% off site-wide, plus use the promo code JIMROME, again, as one word, no spaces, at checkout, and get that extra 30 bucks off your order. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code JIMROME. All right, so you once heard the question, to that point, you once heard the question, are you structured for failure? So mm -hmm. where did you hear that, and how hard did that hit you? Yeah, I, I was driving through Dallas, Texas in 1993 on October 26. It was the day after the fight between Buster Douglas and Evander Holyfield when he was he was uh, defending his title after having defeated Mike Tyson eight months earlier in Tokyo. And, you know, Buster came in out of shape, overweight, clearly having no intention to defend his title. And so the next day I heard three commentators talk about why did Buster not even try? It's okay if you lose. But why did he clearly not even try? And one of them said, well, you know, uh, Buster is supposed to be a really kind guy, supposed to be a, a person of faith and, and, uh, and a Christian. And the other guy said, well, you know, he didn't even try. And the third guy said, look, some people are simply structured for failure. And the moment I heard that description about Buster Douglas, it, it, it felt like it exploded inside of me. Because I, here I'd spent 10 years of my life working with people trapped in poverty and, you know, people in, in the underground world of, of drugs and prostitution. And, and it just hit me that I was trying so hard to change the external circumstances to help people come out of poverty, to help people live a, a more optimal, you know, life, to discover their own unique talent and gifting and genius. But I was addressing the problem backwards that really what I need to deal with were the internal structures for failure. But I'm an optimist, Jim, and the moment I heard him say, some people are simply structured for failure, what came just flooding into my mind is that means that there are internal structures for success, and that's what I need to focus my life on. In other words, you have to work inside out. That, I, and I remember that time vividly. I remember when he mm -hmm. won that first fight. I remember interviewing him after he won that fight. I remember mm -hmm. exactly the way you said it. Or when he came into that second fight, he was totally out of shape. He was not, he was not interested in winning that fight because, quote, he was structured for failure. But if we do a little bit deeper dive on that, what does that mean? Is that hardwiring? Is it just the way you kind of process things and see the world? What is it exactly, and how do you fix that? Yeah. I kind of surprised myself in my own research because at first I thought, well, maybe Buster Douglas simply couldn't handle failure. But then I looked back at his record. I looked at his journey. I realized he had lost five times before defeating Tyson, that he had actually overcome failure to move to that level of success. It wasn't the weight of failure that crushed him. It was the weight of success. 
And it really began to um, cause me to reel in my thinking because most of our energy is focused on how do we overcome failure? You know, how do we deal with failure? How do we, you know, um, rise up, you know, from the debilitating weight of failure? But really, for most of us, it's the weight of success that's crushing. Buster Douglas was prepared for failure. He was not prepared for success. And so I just spent the last 30, 40 years studying what are the internal frameworks that move people towards success that gives them resilience. I think it was probably 30 years ago when I was working more in the world of psychology and social psychology, I, I determined that resilience was probably the number one characteristic that's going to mm -hmm. um, divide people in the generations to come. The ability not to avoid failure or to, um, or to find a way to succeed more, but the ability to face failure and deal with um, disappointment and deal with tragedy and deal with trauma and actually keep rising up. And I think that's the difference is that there are certain people who have internal narratives that tell them that no matter what comes at me, it cannot define me. And it, it's in the language. You can hear people when they blame others for their failures, you know that they, they lack resilience. When they take responsibility for failures, even when it's not their fault, you know that person has um, a high level of resilience. And I think that's the key. And so in MindShift, I just identified 12 simple mental shifts that if a person makes, it begins to open up their life. Hmm. So, Erwin, if resiliency is one of the key factors, one of the most important things for determining happiness mm -hmm. or fulfillment or success, how does one build resiliency? How do you get more resilient? Well, I think there's a relationship between resilience and talent, and it's almost an adversarial relationship. You know, Jim, um, as an athlete, I never um, rose to the top. My, my, my brother and I were in the same grade, first through 12th grade, and he broke all the passing records as a quarterback in high school. He was um, tied as the fastest runner in the United States in sixth grade. Hmm. So I had a brother who was an incredibly high achiever and intellectually really brilliant, so talented that he had what I would call the curse of talent. When you have high talent at an early age, people build external structures to be able to extricate that talent so they can optimally use it for their good. But what happens is that you do not build the internal structures for success. See, I didn't have the burden of talent. So I never thought, oh, people are going to build structures around me to optimize my success. I had to build internal narratives that helped me compensate for a lack of talent. So ironically, resilience is more connected to a perception of lack of talent. It doesn't even have to deal with the reality of lack of talent. You might be Michael Jordan, but still feel like you're not the most talented person in the world. So you put in the discipline and hard work and you build the character structure to optimize your full capacity. And I think resilience is connected to success being seen as a result of discipline and hard work and not talent and natural abilities. Well, I think you're right. I think you're totally right, Erwin. I, I got it in my head, right or wrong, early on. In fact, I think right, that there was really nothing that distinguished me from anybody else that I was competing with, working against, going to school with. I, I really thought there was nothing unique about me at all. So I thought long and hard, okay, why you? Why you? How are you going to get where you want to go if you really know better than anybody else? And I don't mean better like I'm better than you. I mean, like, I'm not better at anything than any of these people, I thought that I had to come up with those things that you're talking about, resilience and discipline and grind and hard work. Mm -hmm. I had to come up with it. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. So, so I mentioned my dude, Brian Johnson, earlier in this pod, and I want to double back and double down him right now. One, because that conversation that he and I had is without question one of the best we've ever had on this podcast. And number two, because Brian has written one of the best and most transformative books that I've ever read. It's called Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. Now, if you ask the ancient Stoic philosophers how to live a good life, they would answer the question with a single word, Arate. Arate can be translated as virtue or excellence, but the word has a much deeper meaning than that. It means being your best self moment to moment to moment. And Brian lays it all out in his new book, Arate, a book that he spent years, literally decades writing, and it contains 451 life-changing ideas. I absolutely urge you to get this book, and I urge you to get it right now. It's exactly what you need if you're looking to jumpstart and or transform your life. Go to 
heroic.us slash Rome. Once again, that's heroic. I'm going to spell it for you. H-E-R-O-I-C dot U-S slash Rome. Heroic dot U-S slash Rome. It is without question one of the best books I've ever read, and I know I will go back to it over and over again. That's heroic dot U-S slash Rome. Get your copy. And by the way, it makes an amazing holiday gift. Give the gift of transformation. You also talk about something fascinating to me, working on the interior design of your mind. I love the analogy because even even today in my 50s or when, when I think about my mind, I don't feel like I need to take it down to the studs, but I absolutely could use a remodel and more than a new coat of paint, right? Like so we have a pretty <laughs> we have a pretty good idea of how to remodel our home, but yeah. how do you remodel or redo the interior design of your mind? Yeah, it's funny. My my wife just hired an interior designer. Well, it only lasted for an hour. And because, you know, we wanted to redo our house. We're going to live here for a long time. But the moment they came in and she walked into the house and they didn't tell her how much they loved it, she was done with them. And, and afterwards, I said, honey, why would you hire them if you wanted them to like the house just like it is? I think that's the problem with most of us is whenever we say we want coaching or mentoring or we want someone to help us elevate, we actually just want them to affirm our already held beliefs. We really want someone who basically says, hey, there's structural damage in your house. And, you, you know, you have to look inside and go, um, what are the limiting frameworks? Like uh, chapter one in my book is simply it's all about people. And I, I, I didn't want anyone to miss that. But chapter three is actually you can't take everyone with you. And so chapter one and chapter three seem to be directly in opposition with each other because there are some people where their limiting framework is they think people are just to be used. They're like things, they're possessions, and they do not value human relationships. And so they end up having great success and being terribly alone in their life. But there are other people who overvalue who's in their life right now. And they lose their goals and aspirations. They lose their full capacity because they think they should take everyone with them. And in some sense, I wrote chapters one and chapter three to say, you have to be aware, which one are you? Are you a chapter one person that you need to know it's all about people? Or are you a chapter three person that needs to know you can't take everyone with you? Because those are both true all the time. And the, the, the aspect of human relationships, I think, holds more people back than almost anything else. How so? Because when you're elevating and you're, you've made a decision to be more than you are, the people who are your friends at that point in your life like you the way that you are. And if you need their affirmation and their applause to keep elevating, you're actually going to stay in the status quo. Because it's easier to have friends when you're average than it is to have friends when you're pursuing greatness. But at the same time, you have to make sure that you understand that life really is about relationships. It really is about people. It's just that it's not always about the same people. My wife and I have been married 40 years. So she's like my person. You know, we've journeyed together for 40 years. But one of the great, I think, sorrows in her life is, is when she looks back and she says, wow, there are very few people who've been with us for the whole 40 years. Hmm. And, I've, and I told her, so, honey, there have been times in our life we just made choices that our life is going to be bigger. Our life is going to have a greater impact. My, my wife goes to Africa constantly, building schools, um, you know, building homes, helping change the economic environment for people. And so she has a limited number of friends that are willing to take on that level of burden with her. And you have to decide in life, and it's a tension, you know, what, when are the, the people who, who are in your life a part of your goals? And when are the people in your life in the way of your goals? And you have to realize that the life is always in this tension. And I look at it for myself. I go, there are people that I've invested in, and I really love them and appreciate them, but I, I'm not always the person for them. You know, there was a time in their life where I was exactly what they needed. And then at this season in their life, I'm not what they need. And I think we should actually consider that a positive part of human relationships. You know, when someone says to me, we're with you until we die, I'm like, don't make that commitment. You don't know what the future holds for you. And, 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 you know, I've been in LA for 40 years and we've had people who have left LA gone all over the world from our community here. And uh, my wife says, why do you constantly tell people to pursue their dreams? Or why do you tell people to pursue their, their, their ultimate capacity? They're always leaving us. And I go, because the goal in life is not to have everyone stay with us. 
But the goal in life is that everyone who comes in contact with us elevates to become the person they're created to become. Hmm. It's so interesting. You're right. It really depends on the season. Nothing is forever. And what makes yeah. sense now may not make sense later on. It might, even, might not even be in their best interest. You know, it's interesting when you talk about how in the book, individuals mm -hmm. are either a chapter one person or a chapter three person and true. But in reality, I know you feel extremely strongly about chapter four of your book. What is chapter four <laughs> and why is that so significant? All right. You know, because I, I'm making sure I remember this book properly. I'm pulling through the chapter four here, which is um, they won't get it until you do it. Well, I actually have a really personal story in this, Jim. I, um, I, got, I got invited to speak to this group of about 200 billionaires and um, or in the hundred million to half a billion dollar category. And I'm sitting at a table with a man that I recognized from like 30 years before, but I wasn't sure. He had the same name, kind of looked like him, but 30 years older. And then right before I got introduced, this guy got up and he was a billionaire. And he said, uh, 30 years ago, I met a young guy and he drove out to meet me at my house and um, he pitched an idea to me and I turned him down. I told him that I would not invest in his idea, that I couldn't see his idea ever happening. And I realized while he was introducing me, he did remember me because mm. <laughs> uh, we had Chinese food. I still remember that. And um, and he said, I, I didn't believe his idea would work. And 30 years later, as I introduced him, I just want to say that I was wrong. And he said something to me that changed my life. He doesn't even realize it because he said, hey, I'm not going to invest any money in you, but it's rare to meet someone with so much passion. And so I'm driving back three hours with no money, no investment uh, on my own. But I, what I couldn't stop thinking about is I'm rare because I have passion. And if I can keep passion at the core of my being, I'm going to always be rare. And that billionaire, I think, gave me something that money could not provide. It gave me a level of intentionality that said, I, I, I want to be rare in life, but not everyone has to get where I'm going. And I've, I've lived long enough now, you know, I just turned 65, where um, I've lived long enough now to know that ideas I had in my 20s and in my 30s and even in my 40s have proven themselves to be true. But I, if I had waited for other people to agree with them, I would have never launched them. And I think one of the challenges in life is that if you need affirmation or approval or applause, you're always going to move with the status quo. And if you are going to do something that's pioneering, inventive, innovative, if you're gonna be the, the first of many, you have to know that they will not get it until you do it. They will not get it until you do it. I love the line. Or when you just said you're 65, which blows me I away am. because you look you look like a million. You see your energy and passion are absolutely incredible. I, I piggyback that by asking you this because I also heard you say this recently. You felt closer to death at 25 than you do right now at 65. <laughs> I find that really inspiring. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, it was very practical. Um, when I was around 25 years old, Jim, I decided to go work in what at that time was the highest crime rate, highest murder rate area of the United States in South Dallas near the Cotton Bowl. And I had just become a person of faith. And so I went there to try to do some good in a really impoverished and troubled area. And when I uh, was driving through the first time, I was terrified. I mean, it was a Friday night. There were drug deals happening everywhere. There's like gangs everywhere, prostitution on every corner. And I had to make a personal decision in that moment. And I know this sounds kind of crazy, but um, I had an internal conversation. You know, it was like a faith conversation between me and God where I just said, I just felt like if I can just die in this moment, I'm going to live a life that no one else could ever expect to understand. And so I, I had a funeral for myself on the street corner at the age of 25 and said, I'm dead now. And so no one can take my life. And I lived a life then I would just, I would walk in the middle of drug cartels with cocaine stacked to ceilings, oozing machine guns everywhere. And um, trying to, you know, invest in people and help them choose a different course of life and, um, and end up traveling to 60 countries around the world, flying into Pakistan, Syria, Damascus, into the most dangerous places in the world. And in fact, I just saw the list of the five most dangerous places in the world. I walked the streets of all those places. And, and because I decided at 25 
that um, death was now a, a, a thing of my past. For me, death was so last year. And I think so many of us are, are not really afraid to die. We're afraid to live. But death becomes the, the guise of our fear of living. And what happened to me on, on that day wasn't really that I stopped being afraid to die, is that I was no longer afraid to live. And that changed my life. Huh. So it's getting cold again, and I've got a tremendous way to stay warm. Two words, heat holders, heat holders. Heat holders make the warmest thermal socks around. They keep your feet warmer than just ordinary socks in the coldest conditions. Perfect for those winter sports like skiing or weekend in the coldest parts of Wisconsin, for instance. How do they do it? Heat holders uses a three-stage process with a cashmere-like advanced insulating yarn that is soft to the touch and brushed on the inside. That traps warm air closer to your skin. It keeps your feet warmer, comfortable, and dry. They are absolutely the softest, most comfortable socks I've ever worn. Guaranteed. They also have hats, gloves, throws, scarves, and more. Give somebody heat holders for the holidays that you know need these badly. They will appreciate the hookup and your discovery. Go to heatholders.com, enter my code ROME, R-O-M-E, and save 15% off your order. Receive free shipping with a purchase of $25 or more. If you don't want to freeze this winter, go to heatholders.com and use the code ROME. Once again, that's heatholders.com, heat holders, making life warmer. So when you walked into these places, I mean, the most dangerous places in the world and these cartels, and you want to make a difference and you want to show a different path, I, I mean, was anybody interested in hearing it? How did you survive that? Yeah, you know, I, I one, I just have to say, uh, I think it was miraculous I did survive. There was, there was one guy named William Westfall who was in prison, and he sent me a, a note from prison that he was going to kill me the day he got out. And he sent me three notes in that year, letting me know that he had not forgotten me, that he would kill me when he came out. It's always good to be remembered, right? And uh, not, maybe not for got, that. Maybe not for that, yeah. my man. Like, why was when he? he why? Out, why was he so upset? Because he controlled an area in the city, and the the people that were connected to him were people who were coming to faith, and they were giving up drug dealing. They were giving up the drug cartels. They were beginning to live lives that were really honorable. And uh, and it was threatening his area. So he felt like I was I was uh, threatening his economic and relational stability for sure. his future. Right. And um, so he's being really pragmatic, you know. And so when he got out of prison in a murdering kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And when he got out of prison, instead of waiting for him to come to me, I went to him and I walked into the project that he was in and about 20 people in the room. The moment I walked in, they all ran out. It was just me and him. And he had just slit a guy's throat, which is why he went to prison this time. And he said, you know, I've broken all 10 commandments. And um, he pulls out the switchblade and he puts it on the table and he goes, this is the same knife I slit his throat with. And, and I remember in that moment, just having a conversation with him, telling him how much he mattered, um, how his life could be different, how it wasn't his enemy, that it was actually for him. And that I believe that his life could actually be a life that created good in the world. And he didn't kill me because I, I think I just shocked him, but he became my friend. And um, it's one of the reasons I didn't get killed is because he put a word out that said if someone touched me, uh, he would go after them. And I think that some of it, Jim, is that when you live a life that um, is unexplainable, it gives you a sense of uh, almost like a protection and um, because people don't know what to do with you. I met a, a football player, I think his name was Rodney Bowden, who played for, I think, the Cleveland Browns. And he came and found me in a lobby decades later. He played professional football. He grew up in the area where I was at. And he told me, we would make bets every day on when you would be killed. And, you, you know, Jim, I, I'm 65 now. I mean, I, already, I had cancer seven years ago. I, um, I, I, I just, I think that most of us, waste so many days of our lives not being fully alive and i am really honestly so grateful that in my 20s i just decided um i don't care how long i live i care how deeply how richly how beautifully i love and uh and it's served me really really well wow i'm goosebumps i, I mean what, what a thing 
What a thing to say. Erwin, you, you clearly are a man of deep faith, so let me ask you this. Is this book for people of faith, or is the book for people who don't have faith? That's a, a, a fair question. Uh, Jim, I wrote this book very specifically for people who do not have faith. And, and there's a reason for that. And I had to fight with my publisher and my, cause I I'd written books for people who have faith, but my real interest is helping people who are struggling, who are maybe don't have faith, who don't believe in God, who are just trying to figure out how do I make the internal shifts that can help me live the life that I'm created to live. So I purposely wrote this book for the people in my life who don't believe in God, for the people in my life who don't have a faith. And I think it helps everyone because of that. Um, and, and some of it is, I, I honestly, even though I have faith, Jim, I think a lot of the answers that we get in faith are inadequate and they're superficial and they don't really deal with real life. And I, I wanted to write a book that was true for everyone, because if it's not true for the person who does not believe, it really isn't true for the person who does believe. Hmm. So, Erwin, the subtitle of the book, It Doesn't Take a Genius to Think Like One. How so? How can you think like a genius without actually being a genius? Yeah, that, that is a very personal subtitle, and it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of um, um, point of humor for me because when I was around 12 years old, I was in a psychiatric chair. Uh, I was told that I was, uh, you know, mentally retarded because I'm older than most people, so that it wasn't PC back then. I was a straight D student, first through 12th grade, and uh, my mom and stepdad didn't know what to do with me because I was a mess. And I go through all these IQ tests and everything like that, and... Um, I get told at a young age that I'm um, like intellectually gifted and um, but it never played out that way. It, it didn't matter whether I had quote some genius inside of me because I, I couldn't actualize it. I was so broken. I was so such a mess. I was so afraid to fail. I was so afraid to be average that I was average Jim. And now I travel the world and you know, I think even at that dinner, like the way Ed introduces me and the way I get introduced at events, I don't know why, but I'm almost always introduced as like a, a polymath or a savant or a genius. And I laugh going, I had a straight D average from first to 12th grade. You know what happened? Perseverance eventually gets confused for talent and resilience eventually gets confused for genius. And, and, you know, so I, 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 I can't, that, I'm sorry. I, I can't, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, that was so good. I, I just laughed. I mean, that, that, can you, can you say that one more time? Both those lines. That was so good. Yeah, I don't know if I can, but basically I was saying that perseverance eventually gets confused for talent, you know, and you, you are seen as a top talent, Jim, and you probably say to yourself, nah, I just lasted longer than everyone else. Yes, yes, I do say that. <laughs> it's a war of attrition. Right. I committed. And, and you know, sorry. No, I, I said, no, no, I said, you're exactly right. I committed to the craft. Mm -hmm. I committed to the job. I always saw it as a war of attrition. On the way up, Erwin, I saw guys that I knew for a fact were more talented than me, but as you get out of college and you think that you're, you're living this dream and we're in these small media markets, you just naively think, I'm going to go to LA. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to be a star. <laughs> and then when you see your other friends that are in business and other things and they're having success and you're grinding away and toiling in these small markets, you think to yourself, it was just a pipe dream. So yeah, I, I realized the one <laughs> One way to do it is to outlast them, just not to give in, not to let go of the rope, to truly burn the boats. So, yes, I agree with you. I didn't think it was and talent. That's why it's, I thought it was it's perseverance. The same way with, yeah, it's the same way with resilience. Resilience will eventually be confused for genius because no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times all the odds get stacked against you, no matter how many obstacles or challenges or tragedies you face, you somehow always rise up and people start thinking that guy is a genius. And it's not that you're a genius. It's that you have so much resilience that you basically play out your life like a genius. And so I'm like, I don't care if I'm a genius a lot or not. I care if I can live my life with a level of intentionality where everyone else thinks I am. <laughs> hmm. I think I think it's both in your case, or when I think it's both. I think you are a genius, and I think you do live with a level of intentionality and passion that most people would never, ever achieve. I could do this all day. With respect to your time, I want to pick a few more things, and I so appreciate this. This is absolutely awesome. See, you, I didn't know that you were as big of a sports fan as you are. I knew that you were a sports fan, but let me ask you this. Vince Lombardi famously said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Where do you come out? Should winning be the ultimate goal? No. 
And, you know, I love Green Bay. In fact, I've been up to Green Bay and watched the Packers play. I, I, I you know, I have had the opportunity to get into, to know Aaron Rodgers and, and to be up there with the team. And so I love the Packers. Uh, but I don't think winning is the only thing because that, that makes life very uh, limited. And, you're, you know, when, when you focus on winning, it's, it is a limited game. And when you focus on expanding, it's a limitless game. And, and I think that's the problem is that people who have fixed mindsets actually create their own ceilings. And, and individuals who have an open mindset, who have an adaptive, flexible mindset, uh, there is no winning because the moment you've won, you have more options, you have more opportunities, you have more capacity. It, it's just like this, the idea of, I wanna die without potential. That's what I used to think to myself until I got old enough to realize I want the opposite to be true. See, because if I die with no potential, it means I stopped using my potential because potential is limitless. I want to die with so much potential because the day before I made choices that expanded my life, expanded my internal universe, and expanded my influence in the world. I want, to, I want my tombstone to say he still has so much potential. It's a shame we lost him. God, I love that so much. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. And this is what I mean by reinvention. Erwin, do you feel like at 65 that the best is in fact in front of you and not behind you? Even at 65, do you believe that? Absolutely. I feel like the first 65 years was training day. <laughs> I feel like I'm finally getting a sense of the potential of what life could be like. And, and it doesn't matter if I get to live it out over the next 10, 20, 30 years. To me, what matters is if I can pass this on to other people so that they can live it out. Because in that sense, we get to live beyond ourselves when we invest in other people. So a final thought, in terms of passing it along, obviously, I mean, to as many people as possible to make the world a better place, but then certainly the ones that are closest to you, your podcast is a family affair <laughs> as you host it with your son. Now, we have an older son. It we is. have two boys. Our older son, Jake, studied media in college and mass communications. He graduated this past June, so he's younger, but he's working in the industry right now. I could not be more proud of him for that, but I'm not sure, Erwin, that either one of us is ready to do a pod yet together. What's it like to share your podcast with your son? Uh, I love it. We have a podcast called MindShift, and what happened was when, when I had cancer seven years ago, they caught it a little late, and so I had stage four cancer. It metastasized, and you know it was prostate, bladder, and lymph node, mm. and it was six hours of surgery, so I didn't know if I was going to live. And when I came out of that surgery and I survived and I thrived, my son came to me and he said, Dad, if you had died, there were so many questions that I still have that I would have never had the chance to ask you, would you be willing for me to start a podcast so I could just ask you the questions I have and we could give them to everyone. And that's how the podcast was born. And it was really just a conversation between me and Aaron and leaving for him and, you know, and my daughter and their children and generations to come, any insights, any wisdom um, that I could give to them. And then seven years later, uh, we shifted the name from Battle Ready to uh, Mind Shift. And in fact, this week he told me, he goes, there's nothing I love doing more than these podcasts. I love interview. He loves interviewing people. He loves extracting genius and wisdom and insight from people. And so I actually think he has found his sweet spot. Um, I would have never done it without him. It, it, and I, I think that's when life is really wonderful, when you're not necessarily carrying your kids. Your kids are like carrying you. And uh, and for me, that's really exciting. Well, so I can't wait. I want that to happen. I can't wait for that. So a final thought. You know, it's so interesting what you just said about your son and the way you guys came together on this, that they, he had questions he wanted to ask you. My father passed away from leukemia decades and decades and decades ago. And even to this mm -hmm. day, or when there, there are things that I want to say to my mother, who's in her 80s now, like, hey, I want to ask dad this, or what, what would Jay have said to this? Like, I have those questions. And it's so great mm -hmm. that you guys have this platform for that. Can you leave me with this thought? Because I know cancer cancer is so insidious that either yeah. everybody listening either has had it, knew somebody who had it, or knows somebody who knows somebody, and you were stage four, it metastasized, it was in the worst possible places. How, why and how do you think you beat that? You know, Jim, I've done a little bit of research on this, and I'm certainly not an expert other than having lived through it. Um, but I, I think I've seen the information where 40% of the differential surviving cancer is mindset. And I, 
I, I don't know how to explain this, but when they told me I had cancer, I mean, it devastated my wife and my kids, but I never experienced fear, not, not for one second. And I never had a sense of regret. Um, I felt like I'd lived a really full, beautiful life. I didn't want to leave. I, there's too, way too much life to live. I think what actually pulled me through it was that I refused to let cancer be my story. I never think of myself as having had cancer. And even after the six hours of surgery, I called my surgeon and I said, what's the world's record from having a six hour surgery to playing basketball? And I, I was on a basketball court within, I think, three months of, um, of that surgery. Uh, and I refused to let myself be sick. And I, and I, there's a difference, like even for years, I would never say, um, you know, I have a headache or I don't feel good. People would ask me, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. My head hurts. Or, you know, I'm doing great. My leg's broken. Like I never made the pain or the injury or the illness, my identity. And, and so I, I, when people say, well, you're a cancer survivor, I go, I never think of myself like that. I, 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 I had cancer, but cancer never had me. And I think the mindset is really important. Now we all die. And a lot of really brave and powerful and beautiful people are taken because of cancer. So I'm not saying that yeah, it's, it's the cure. I am saying that if you are full of life, cancer has a harder time of taking your life. Well, I think there's something to that. I know for a fact, I mean, well, in my own empirical evidence or my own study, my father, and this was years ago before there were advances in medicine, he never once, mm -hmm. or when he never once said, why me? He never once said, why me? He never once complained. And by the way, he... He, he passed away like at 60 or 59 and was like, wow. I far exceeded any life that I ever expected to have. And I've told this story before on my platforms, but when he was diagnosed with leukemia, he had a small business. He and my mother manufactured high-tech garments and they had a factory. And he said to my sister and I, we're not telling anybody. We are not telling anybody. We're not. We're certainly not telling our customers and our business. We're not telling our own parents. You kids are the only ones because he didn't want that to be his identity. He didn't want any pity. Like, and I had to respect it. Like it was his thing. But he never had a bad day. Never, never, never yeah. scared. Never. And if he was, he never showed it. So I believe you. I think you're right. Leave me with this thought. I know, and this was not any condition of this, but I'm really curious. I know you also launched a new program called The Arena. What is that about? Oh, Who's yes. it for? Uh, thank you so much for asking. I really appreciate that. I'm, um, I'm, I'm the worst like sales guy in the world. And, but um, I, I coach about a half a dozen um, people at a high level. And, uh, and, you know, that world is like a six-figure world. And so I realized that a lot of my one-on-one -on -one coaching, I can't really give to people every day. And then we have a, a, a mastermind that is fairly um, tight and, and intimate. It's usually guys who, you know, their companies have 50 to hundred million to a billion, but I wanted to actually create a space where people could experience like entrepreneurial business, mastermind experiences, optimal performance conversations, and have it more financially accessible to them. So we created an online community called The Arena where people join from all over the world. And we put all of our content on there. And then I do live sessions all the time. We'll do sessions on overthinking or sessions on how to create greater focus or how to live in flow. And so all the stuff I do that someone may pay me a quarter of a million dollars to do, we do on The Arena for um, just uh, an annual membership. So I, it's my way of just investing in people who are not quite at the level of hiring a one-on-one -on -one coach. I love it. So what is it, an app? Where do they go to get it? Um, go to erwinmcmanus.com and hit the arena. You can. It's a, an annual membership of around $4,200 a year. And we meet live right now every single week. I have uh, content on communication, leadership, character development, mindsets. And so everything that we discover that helps people optimize their, um, you know, their own talent and genius is put on that web uh, on that app. So it's uh, erwinmcgannis.com slash the arena. So do you meet virtually or do you meet physically when you yes. meet every week? Uh, we do uh, every right now, every Monday, I do a live session and uh, with a, a few hundred people all over the world. And then we also create um, content, video content that's on there that people can access ongoing. So we have a, a $5,000 course called the Art of Communication. I have a, a, a communication paradigm called the seven frequencies of communication that people access there. We have a, 
uh, an assessment that helps people understand what frequencies they use in communicating, how to expand their communication frequencies. We want to develop elite communicators across the world. And it's one of the real focuses in the arena. But we also focus on stuff like character, because I tell myself, look, I don't want you to die alone. And I had just way too many friends who have too much money, too many houses, too many cars, too many planes, and not enough people. And so we try to make it a really holistic space. I love that. What a great line that is. So the book, Mind Shift, is brand new. Mind Shift, it doesn't take a genius to think like one. I would imagine you could buy this wherever you get books, or where should they go to get the book? Uh, you know, go to Amazon, go to any bookstore. It's in every bookstore um, in the world. And, uh, and, and also, um, I, I, I don't know if we can give you a link or something like Please that, do. but I'd love for people yeah. to join us at UrbanMcManus.com and check out the arena. Say that one more time. I want to make sure they get that. That's important. Uh, ErwinMcManus.com and slash the arena. Definitely. Erwin, I can't say how much I appreciate it. You were very gracious with your time. I knew I knew we had to do this. I'm so glad we did do this. I should have done this so much sooner, but you are the absolute best, man. Thank you so much, and I will be very eager to break bread with you once again. Hey, thank you so much, Jim. Look forward to seeing you again. Bam. That right there is why we're all here. We're all looking for a mind shift because for most of us, the mindset that we currently have is not getting us where we need to go. My biggest takeaways from that conversation include it doesn't take a genius to think like one. And as far as the mind, it frequently does lie to the individual and it's up to the individual to root out those lies and not accept them as truth because believing the lies we often tell ourselves can be extremely damaging. Your battle mostly is not an external one. It's the battle within. It's internal. The battle with your own mind. Get control of your mind, shift your mind, and you win the war within. So as Erwin says, work the interior design of your mind. Believe me, we all need a remodel above the shoulders, or in this case, even a rewiring. Hopefully listening to this episode has created a mind shift within you. I know it did for me. If not, I would absolutely recommend picking up his book, Mind Shift. It is super food for the brain. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. That always helps. And if you know anybody who you think might benefit from this episode, I would love for you to share it and pass it along. Once again, thank you so much for all the support. And I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.